We respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we work and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. So that well, academically and in your portfolio, there's absolutely no reason why I wouldn't take you. You shouldn't come onto the course. Is it? But you know absolutely nothing about architecture. You're incredibly immature. I think you should take a year out and actually go and, and work out what you want to do. So I didn't do that because that <laughs> gave me the heck up the backside, which I think is probably my personality. Hello and welcome to Design Loop. My name is Clara Murphy and my guest today is the vivacious and energetic Ruth Payne. And full disclosure, Ruth and I worked together in 2015 when I was a student and Ruth was a senior architect. Despite how threatening her name sounds, Ruth Payne is incredibly warm, bubbly and has a wealth of knowledge in architecture, project managing and now as a business manager. It was an absolute privilege soaking up all her wisdom that I thought it was only fair to share a few pearls with you. I hope you enjoy my chat with Ruth Payne as much as I did speaking with her. Long time no speak. No, how are you? Good, thanks. So where are you? Are you in Melbourne or Geelong? I'm in Collingwood at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I've been in the same four walls for way too long. Are you in Melbourne? Ocean Grove. Oh, we beautiful. moved back to Ocean Grove, but I'm working in Melbourne, but I'm working full-time at home. Oh. So it's just, I get the best of everything. I get, I'm coming up to Melbourne normally on a Thursday just for the day. So I've got a, a site that's a building site. So I just got site meetings on a Thursday, but everything else I'm just doing from home. And it's just the way forward. <laughs> I don't want to ever go back. In- <laughs> You're laughing. Deal with all the rubbish, you know, all of that mm. office politics. I hated it. Oh, really? I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't realise that I don't have to deal with it, that I, I don't, I just do not miss it at all. Incidental no. be meetings or? No. <laughs> oh, that's really refreshing. Do you live with anyone else or are you all on your I own? I do. I've got my partner and my sister yeah. and her partner. So. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Okay. That's okay. That's right. Yeah. Some of the architects I've been speaking to are in consultants and they're living in, you know, in Melbourne in some high rise on their own or with two small children. Oh my they're God. Going, they've been really struggling and yeah, some absolutely. of the um, guys in my team um one guy's got a, a two and a four and a half year old so often in a meeting it'd be ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i've had a bit of that so, you know that's been that challenging for them and i keep on saying don't worry about it that's like fine don't worry don't worry they get all upset and put themselves on mute and tell i say oh no bring the babies yeah, exactly. <laughs> i love babies <laughs> But I think that people are, you know, we're so much better at picking up the phone and talking to people as opposed to sending emails because they actually wanted to speak to someone. So I just think that everyone's communication skills have really improved through this yeah. time. And to even be like sending an email, just being like, I'm going to call you in half an hour and mm-hmm. like scheduling mm-hmm. calls. I feel like I know. Yeah. Really so it's happened. good. Very good. So what a great idea. Good job, you. No, that's really good. I think it's particularly hard for women to go and ask for help with mentors as well. I think think it's really, but once they get going, they're great. And they're probably very good mentors. But I think young females probably find it a little bit difficult to ask for help sometimes. Yeah. Have you ever had a mentor? No. (laughs) 
isn't that terrible i've kind of thought about it so many times over time and it's completely oh, i didn't want to impose on somebody yeah yeah i did feel pretty awkward just asking people at the yeah. start just like I yeah. know you're really busy like of course like people have asked me in the past and I've never worried about doing it whatsoever um we're very lucky at our work we get given I suppose I, ha- I have got a mentor so it's a business coach which is kind of like a mentor and um it's been really good and half the time we don't we talk about issues through work but a lot of time it drifts off into you know next stages of your career and things like that but mm. that's so it's not quite the same I would have thought you're always slightly guarded on your responses because does it go anywhere else yeah and I suppose if you're working with them then there's like a vested interest to yeah yeah a little bit but she has been really good and we do it once a month for an hour and a half which is it's a really good one for the you know for the company to sort of send their staff on so that's been really good for this podcast I'm trying to understand my guests partly through their background so Ruth what were you like growing up were you were there any significant milestones to your childhood um, well, I grew up in, in England um, and I grew up, um, my mum was a professional, so she's a chartered surveyor, which you don't really have in Australia, but she's a chartered surveyor, so she owned her own company and uh, yeah, worked incredibly hard and she was a, a single mum, bringing several boys up and they became engineers as well, so they're older than me and then um, I sort of fell into architecture by mistake really, I just really enjoyed art and maths <laughs> <laughs> and then someone said to me, oh, what about architecture? Oh, that sounds nice. So I didn't really know much about architecture before I started. I think I liked the romantic side, a sound of it. In England, you do you do your exams. I was pretty always very academic and did sort of quite well at school. But I was also quite sort of sporty and social and organising things the whole time. So I was always very busy and I went along to the interview for architecture and really didn't know anything. And he kept on asking me, so who's your favourite architect? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, you know, why do you want to be an architect? Mm, I don't really know. And I actually felt like an absolute fool because um, I just always achieved at school and then realised that I was about to embark on this huge big world that I didn't know anything about and did I really want to do it. And when I went to the university that I ended up going to in London and I met my then, who was then going to be my tutor in my third year, and he said to me in the interview, he said, oh, well, academically and in your portfolio, there's absolutely no reason why I wouldn't take you. You shouldn't come onto the course. He said, but you know absolutely nothing about architecture. I'm incredibly immature. I think you should take a year out and actually go and, and work out what you want to do. So I didn't do that because that gave me the heck up the backside, which I think is probably my personality, is I then went and spent from that day falling in love with architecture because I thought, oh, right, okay, it's actually a bit more serious than... I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, I'm going to, and I'm going to prove you wrong. Exactly. I'm going to prove you wrong. And so I went home and I went to the library and I 
picked up a book and found this architect called Corbusier, which I couldn't even pronounce. And that was the first architectural book I read. And I still have it. And I still have it up in my library. And then I read another really informative book at the time. And it was um, How to Build My Own Dream House. And it was probably written in the 1970s. It just really sort of lit something up inside me. And I thought, no, I can do this is absolutely what I want to do. Um, I love the idea of creating places for people to find their happy, you know, happiness and fulfillment and enjoyment of life. And, you know, that balance of form follows function. And yeah, it just really resonated me, those just sort of early readings that I was doing. So I did go to university and in my third year, Michael Rose, I can still even remember his name. This is how pivotal he was at the time. And I sat with him in a, a cheat in the, you know, the, in the first few months. And I just, you know, he didn't remember who I was. Of course, he didn't know who I was. And I told him the story and he just thought it was absolutely hilarious. He said, oh my goodness, I was so rude. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I said, no, it absolutely was the best thing that someone could have said to me. Really, really was the best thing. And, you know, I found my passion. So that was probably, you know, my sort of start into architecture uh, was having some someone being really rude to me <laughs> telling me I couldn't do it and thinking no I can do it so there's been another couple of sort of pivotal things I suppose through my career um when I I finished my degree so in the UK you do a gr- degree and then you do a year out in practice and then you go back and do your diploma and then you do another year out and then you do your registration what was so important was that is I actually had some industry background um and I'd also worked out what I wanted to study and where I wanted where my passion was and I think if you go and run all the way through you don't have the ability to do that you don't have the time you were exhausted after mm. you finished you didn't want to do anything and that's actually how I felt a little bit at the end of the degree after three years I took a year out in industry and then I actually went traveling for 12 months as well so how did you work out what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go so I think it was very much in that I actually wanted to go into the project management construction side because that was very much where my interests were at that time and so in my year out I actually got on the graduation uh, graduate training program at British Energy and it's I wouldn't say it's architecture but I went worked on a building site for 12 months building a nuclear power station which was just absolutely phenomenal it taught me so many amazing you know lessons um, in life and also professionalism practice management and construction I had an incredibly good manager who took me under his wing and you know we were literally on the tools um, as well as uh, everything else so it was you know everything was about timelines everything was about budget and that's something obviously I'm still quite passionate about and quality so he really sort of taught me those foundations that I've then been able to then move on. I then realised that actually I really missed the design side of architecture. I went travelling for 12 months and then when I came back, my parents went away. Well, my mum went away due to work for um, a year or so. And so what I ended up doing, I ended up caring for my grandmother whilst I was doing my last two years of uni. And she ended up having to move into an aged care home and I had to find her one. And they were awful. They were so completely horrendous and awful. And that ignited a real passion that, you know, I still work in that industry today, is, you know, particularly looking for housing for people or any, any kind of you know, accommodation for someone with dementia. Um, she had dementia. Now, she had worked in aged care her whole life as well. So she was a registered nurse. And then she actually ended up managing a retirement village in aged care with her husband, who was a Methodist minister 
sister. So they managed it for about 20 years. My mum grew up in this aged care as well. So they lived on site. So I, you know, had a bit of sort of an introduction to aged care, you know, when I was very young, because, um, you know, we used to go and visit her friends and family there. So going to having to find an actual aged care for my own relative who I loved and cared for when it was just so sad, you know, we'd go into one, there was always one and they, um, they advertised it as a individual rooms with en suites. Now the en suite was a cupboard that had been prefabricated and put oh, into no. it. was just so bad. So it had a step up of about 200 mil that you had to step up. And, you know, my grandmother was pretty much, um, you know, well, she, cause she could move around, but you know, she would never have gone in a shower and she'd never had a shower in her life anyway. Um, you know, she was in the eras of having baths, you know, she struggled a lot. So anyway, we ended up having to place her in somewhere because, you know, for her own safety a little bit, because she needed 24 mm, seven supervision. Anyway, ended up putting her somewhere and within a week or so, all of her jewelry had been stolen. Um, oh my God. All over. She had bruises is all over her so oh god knows what happened so she ended up moving out um you know took her back again and then ended up finding an absolutely amazing place that she stayed at until she passed away and I'd been trying to get her in there but they they were full but then luckily you know being on the phone crying <laughs> so they just help me, help me. you know I managed to get her in there and it was through a Methodist you know relationship that she'd had as well so connection so you know I had to pull all sorts of strings and tears and emotion and exhaustion and expense to get her into somewhere where everyone should be entitled to mm, go absolutely like, you know, few years of their life and and um, you know die with dignity and well live with dignity you know she was able to stay there they kept her there until she did die she became non-verbal um, and immobile um, you know and they could have sent her to a hospital they didn't they cared for her and you know they come go and sing hymns to her because that's what she was used to um you know they gave her the food that she wanted you know they gave her bed baths you know it was a caring wonderful environment she overlooked a beautiful garden um that she could enjoy um all of these things it felt like it was a home it was it was actually called a home so it wasn't called a facility or a residence mm. or Called, so uh, garden homes which is just beautiful so I think I then went and did my um my diploma and ended up writing a research paper as well um on housing for older people particularly people with dementia so um that's sort of where it started I then went and worked in London and worked for specialists in aged care and then I ended up in Australia and they didn't have anything like that at the time so it's taken it took me another sort of 10 years to find a position back where people had the same passion as I do where I've been working for the last three years so hopefully I'm making a good impact <laughs> thank you for sharing the story because I do remember you saying that you were moving back into aged care design and I was a bit naive and thinking why would you do that it's not glamorous that's not architecture but oh, it's glamorous thing in the world <laughs> it's so important so important especially yeah. when you think of your loved ones yeah. and like I think that's it. I'd say that to anyone sort of starting in architecture is find something you're passionate about because that gets me up at the, you know every day and 
I know when you're at university, you get given those, you know, you can design anything you want to. You can do anything you do. And you wake up in the middle of the night and you're walking around your buildings and you're dreaming about them and you're thinking about them. I haven't had that for years, but now I do that every, Mm. you know, most evenings or nights. I'm dreaming and thinking about my buildings again um, and how to improve them, how to get better, how to live in them. Um, And I think if you don't have a passion for that, then you never get that that drive. That's fantastic. So Ruth, I'm wondering if you remember this because it's obviously stayed with me. Uh, Whilst we were working together, I was a student binding folders or cataloging books. No, (laughs) no. but I must have looked quite somber. But just for the record, I, I think I was just in machine mode and not thinking too much about it. But you came over and explained how whilst this wasn't the most exciting job, you shared a story of how in one of the first practices you were in, you were the only female working in an all-male office where everyone was smoking inside and there was clouds of smoke in the office and you spent like a year photocopying magazine pages, which very much put my less mundane task into perspective. <laughs> so firstly, feel free to correct my memories. Can I, I name and shame them? was the name of the company so was is that accurate yeah relatively yeah it was awful so I was at um you know I was first year uni I think and working in a um, similar to you so I was working part-time in an architectural practice and I used to go there and I was the only filmer and I I I remember the first day walking in and them saying to me they're not knowing what to do with me and so one of them said oh well, you can read those magazines and they were a bunch of very old yellow architectural journals. <laughs> and, I just, oh. and I remember meeting up with a friend at lunchtime and uh, saying, I'm just not going to last there. It's just awful. It's absolutely terrible. Yeah. And then they did. They used to just say to me, all right, then well, can you photocopy those magazines? Because I don't think they knew what to do. <laughs> or I'd photocopy plans and I'd just stand there all day or you know, faxing because it was pre-emails. So I'd have to fax every things and it was just so awful and there was yeah no one taught me anything I think I maybe once did some kind of drawing I think I remember tracing something for someone and then them not being very happy with how I'd done it and so I was never asked to do it again <laughs> instead of saying oh well how about we teach you how to do it <laughs> and to, you know and help you <laughs> there was none of that so they were just ticking a box that mm. they had to have a student for 12 months and you know they used to go off to the pub every lunchtime and get drunk and come back you know three four beers down and be just drunk and sleep and smoke in their office in their individual offices they all had their own individual office and you'd open the door and all the smoke come out it was disgusting that sounds awful what made you stay in architecture oh well I think no I was loving my degree course and I only did it one day a week yeah it was one day a week and it was I think I thought it was good on my CV I think that was the only reason I did it But yeah, and they never took me to site. They never did anything. So I've tried to be nice to architectural students after that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, cataloging books wasn't so bad. And it was only for, what, probably a couple of hours. Needed no, to be done. Exactly. I'm not sure anything that they asked me to do needed to be done. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Oh, oh that's a real tough one. Even some really weird advice. Um, the weirdest thing, Bob, was again 
when I was at, um, I don't even know if it's advice, but someone, when I was leaving British Energy, the director of projects, doing my leaving speech. And, you know, I'd had such a great time. You know, there was, you know, 100 or so people stood around, you know, for the morning tea to say, oh, you know, farewell, Ruth. She's off for 12 months. And again, you know, I was one of the only females. And so I, I did know everyone quite well. They knew me, um, knew everyone. And I'd, I'd love working there. It was great fun. Anyway, the director of, uh, projects he he stood there and he said uh, you know Ruth's been fantastic you know really appreciate her enthusiasm and hard work over the year and all the nice things you expect to say and then he said and then he said Ruth's gonna make someone a fantastic wife one day oh my god <laughs> which isn't true I'm a terrible wife <laughs> I don't know if that's advice but that was the same I suppose as the the tutor at, at the, stayed with you and when I'm more than just a wife absolutely um, more than just a suburban female um, I'm gonna make my own adventure in my life so that did stick with me and still see uh, today is you know be yourself and yeah, step out of what people expect of you but yeah no good advice um uh, architecturally I don't know I feel like I've sort of found my own path a little bit um and I follow my gut on what I'm doing and I I guess that's my you know what I'd say to other younger professionals is yeah find out what you're passionate about don't be scared to move forward on things when things get really comfortable another opportunity opens for you you know even if you're really comfortable doing your job well it is good to keep on trying new things but the other thing I'd say is if you think something's wrong, then fix it because that worry in the back of your mind or the thing you haven't done or the thing you didn't research properly or the thing that it always comes back to bite you. So I think that's really important. So just follow your instincts. A lot of the time they're correct. That's great advice. In 2017, you made the shift between architect and development manager. Yes, I did. Uh, I went across, but I don't know. I, development managers is a very funny term. I don't really know what a development manager does. Like does. A project manager. I don't know what it means either. I was going to ask. Well, so very difficult to define. Actually, I think a development manager is, is just a generic term, like architect. You know, it's a generic term. An architect can mean so many things. But, you know, the role that I do, which is termed as development manager, is so I work for, you know, Villa Maria Catholic Homes. And and I work in the uh, development, strategic developments. So anything that is sort of you know, part of the strategic direction of the company. So I've worked on aged care. So we've been doing a huge big upgrade of our sort of older stock, doing extensions and also full refurbishments of these older stock. But putting in, and this is where sort of, I guess why I got employed with my sort of, you know, my passion was putting in specific memory support. So accommodation for people with, with dementia. So we are, you know, I've been putting in sort of age cares are always set up. So you, you might have a cluster, so a cluster of between 12 to 20 sort of isolated group of residents and just really working on setting up those memory supports. So it's something, it was new to VMCH when I started. So day one, new CEO, her passion is dementia as well. So working with her, working with several other experts in the field to design, which is why I'm not a real development manager, working
working on the concept designs, actually right. drafting, working on that myself, but then employing a art, main architect to do the working drawings and, and getting the sort of building permit drawings together. But then I've been actually acting as a superintendent on site for a lot of these projects as well. So again, that's a development manager wouldn't normally do that. So there's been refurb jobs and extension and these memory supports. I've also worked on a, did a school from start to finish, a new specialist school, which is brilliant. And that was a seven day a week job to get that mm. done. Again, a development manager wouldn't do that, but you know, an architect probably yeah. would. My job is just to make sure it financially steps up. So um, as well is, so just working through the business case and working through all of the investment scenarios. So again, that's something that architects don't really get involved in. And I think they should being really lacking. I found my knowledge of that side of the business was uh, fell short. So I've had to do a lot of, sort of work in the background to understand how to look at investment sum- summaries and analysis and what does IRR mean and what does the EBITDA mean per bed and gross floor area. So all these things, I'd sit in meetings and people would ask me a question. I've got no idea. But now I do. <laughs> and I know what stacks up and I know, you know, how operationally something needs to run over 30 years. And because of that, I think just my briefing has had to improve because before, you know, I was looking at it in a spatial, environmentally, you know, an experience to work in somewhere. But now I look at it in a way of another dimension of how do you make something operationally efficient to run on hours of people being there so it might be for an example of a multi-story aged care yeah it's more expensive to put in a laundry chute than not put a laundry chute but the hours saved Mm. of someone collecting things and then taking it down to laundry to then bring it up again just simple little things like that just having to balance those costs out Yeah, it sounds like your involvement is a lot more holistic. I think as well, just working with the end users is great. So it's been really good for the, you know, even two years after finishing some of these projects, I'm still able to phone these people up and say, how's it going? What are you doing? Then they say, oh, no, well, we changed such and such. And then you get lessons learned from that. For sure. And other things, they go, God, that doesn't work at all. It's a disaster. (laughs) Being really good is you get, you know, you're a steward of the building, not the the designer of it. So you're looking after it. And it's full life cycles taken a different meaning for me. So that kind of leads me on to the next question is, what would you change about the industry? I would, uh, well, I'd change the registration process in Australia. I don't, I don't think it's robust enough. I think when I finished my registration in the UK, I felt a lot more ready to start and be called an architect than architects are here. I just think that, you know, you can study hard and you can do your, you know, exam and you can luck out and you know, with the way that the the exam paper's done, as long as you've read three years worth of other exam papers, you know the answers. Yeah, people tend, I think, to get other people to write their <laughs> statement of experience <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you can tell, yeah, and the interview process is probably the only good part of it because you can really, you know, you only get an hour though and it's really difficult in an hour to mm. interview someone and to get to grips with it. I mean, some candidates are absolutely phenomenal and wonderful, but I think it's making them mediocre. Um, 
a larger proportion, unfortunately. So I'd love to see more practical experience. And I know that's hard, particularly in today's climate is really, really hard. So I understand that. Um, you know, I came through, yeah, I left uni in the middle of a recession as well um, when I finished my third year. So it was really hard. And, you know, I ended up going to, you know, working on a nuclear power station to get myself some, because there was nothing really in an architectural firm. Um, plus, I kind of wanted to go into that construction side. But that's exactly the, that's exactly what people need is they need, PA, architects need more PM experience. Architects are a wonderful group of people who can think spatially, problem solve, are artistic, and I think they understand sort of the human sensitivities that a lot of PMs don't. So I think that if architects could really build their skills in project management, and I think that should be done really early on in their career, then I think that would be of great benefit to them later on. Mm. It's hard, and I think it's particularly hard in Australia because the, you know, the, you know, all the architecture schools are based in the major cities, and there's only so much, you know, jobs per graduate to do. So I think that the industry should work harder to give, even if it's, yeah, we did in our third year at uni, it was one semester, I think it was one semester, you had to find yourself an architect and you had to go and follow them and do a site book was the course, so it was a site book. So you had to, you know, you went on site once a week with a qualified architect and you just sat at a site meeting and you took notes and you had copies of, a, you know, the extension of time, RFI. So that would have been what four or five month process and you got to go to site 10 to 12 times. So that's very valuable. And I don't think that lots of architects are getting that experience. Definitely. Yeah. What project are you most proud of? Oh, probably the school because it was just such a ridiculous turnaround. <laughs> I put everything into it. I think I actually sweated a bit of blood. I'm quite proud of quite a few of them. And I'd say even, you know, just the the last project that I did as well. So the school, just because for the PM skills of just putting everything into it, I was very proud of. And I think the outcome was really good for the students and you go around and there's you know all these wonderful beautiful students and teachers who had been teachers are able to give the students a fantastic education in really trying circumstances and these teachers are just phenomenal and I gave them a really a place that made working for them a little bit easier so I think I'm very proud of that but I'm also think just because I'm hopefully I'm learning each time I'm doing something just the place I finished last which was a memory support unit for in sunshine for residents who have dementia but also another mental health illness so they might have schizophrenia and dementia so it's a younger cohort so they're not verbal and also highly mobile so they can get incredibly agitated and aggressive um, just because of their confusion so the environment had to be quite robust but when you walk around it it doesn't look like it's an institute it actually looks like it's a residence and a home and I think one of my proudest things was um, they had a resident in there 
Jude, and unfortunately he died of COVID. Um, oh my they, yeah, which is terrible. Anyway, he's, you know, had dementia and he actually said, oh, I've been brought to a hotel to die. And I was just was like, that's really nice. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's incredibly sad that he died. It's awful. And they actually ended up losing, uh, just they lost three residents due to COVID um, who were in, to, but that's the reality, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. But, but it was really nice that even someone in that could, could feel something about their, the, the built and form and the environment that we're in. They actually ended up moving these residents into this new unit because because it was brand new and so the other residents who had been designed for hadn't moved in yet. And so they were able to isolate them and, you know, they were able to not have any transfer of COVID to the staff because mm. they would kind of set it all up. COVID safety as well um, so the um, it had been brought in by a visitor but then didn't expand to anywhere else in the aged care so you know that I, I'm proud of that that's really good and, you know but I mean that's the staff as well but I was proud that you know he felt that he was in a good place to pass mm. away he had a positive effect thank you so much you have been so <laughs> helpful no 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 it's my my pleasure I mean I just think yeah just go and be passionate Thank you for listening to my chat with Ruth Payne. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know your feedback, any questions or comments about this talk or future Design Loop interviews. This is my first episode, but there's plenty more where this came from, including chats with the acclaimed John Denton, founding director of Denton Cork Marshall, and Megan Dwyer of John Wardle Architects, plus many more talented designers, all of whom are sharing stories of their journey the industry as they see it, and of course, advice for young budding architects. Until next week, my name's Clara Murphy and you're listening to Design Loop.